Welcome to Day 92 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with Katie Kresge and Matt Kresge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're continuing in the journeys of the Apostle Paul. Acts has been a fun book. This is going to be kind of be a melancholy week because we leave the book of Acts mm-hmm. and we're going to leave the Apostle Paul stranded in Rome with mm-hmm. chains, uh, but the gospel still being unhindered. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his story, he has gone into the city of Jerusalem in order to reunite with his people, and it has not gone well. He caused a riot in the temple. He was rescued by Roman soldiers, escorted unceremoniously to Caesarea, uh, where he's been for two years languishing in prison under the governor uh, Felix. And we move from the governor Felix to Festus, so it's hard to keep those two names straight. It's taken me years, and I'm not sure I still have it. But anyway, we meet Paul in his trial after two years of being in prison and just kind of languishing they're not being able to move or do much of anything. Uh, so we pick up in chapter 25, and from 25 we will take him all the way to the city of Rome. So before we dig into Acts 25, why don't we offer ourselves in this moment you know, to the Lord. Katie, do you mind lifting this up? Father, thank you for this time. Would you um, prepare our hearts to hear your word this morning? Um, to to hear what you have to say to us through it. Um, Father, thank you for what has taken place in the early church and the, the fact that we even have access to it. Um, and would you, as we read together, would you continue to shape us, Holy Spirit? Would you continue to sanctify our hearts um, and reveal yourself to us more and more? You are faithful. You are so good. Um, help us to hold on to you even when we face sufferings that um, might somewhat look like what we are reading about today and this week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, what a great point. What a wonderful gift we have through Scripture uh, that you know helps us enter into the struggles of the early church, uh, the work of God's providence behind the scenes, uh, the richness of how uh, God in his providence guides the gospel, but it doesn't preclude suffering mm-hmm. uh, and difficulty on our part. And we learn that you know, beautifully in the book of Acts. So let's pick up with Acts chapter 25, verse 1. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for their preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with him, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before them. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I've not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. 
After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. A few, day later, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priest and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told him that this is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accuser got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion, about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. Was there a loss in how to navigate, investigate such matters? So I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, Tomorrow you will hear him. The next day Agrippa and Bernice came in with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. And of course, there's one of those unfortunate breaks <laughs> because in the next few verses, we get to hear from the Apostle Paul, probably one of the most extensive uh, explanations of how he came to Christ and of the gospel. And he actually puts Agrippa on the spot and Agrippa kind of pushes back a little bit. Yeah. We have that for tomorrow. Um, as we read the passage today, what are what are some of the things that you know stand out in this passage? For, for me, that. yeah, for me, one of the things that stands out immediately is just the the providence of God in the life of Paul. I mean, sometimes I, I can read the book of Acts and just kind of read it as a quick moving story and forget he's been languishing here, as you said, for two right. years in Caesarea. And so here's two years where he's he's sitting in there and you know, you might just think, well, yeah, the gospel's just spreading everywhere. You know, but for Paul, he's sitting in Caesarea two years, and then this opportunity arises where he he realizes, you know, the province got like two years in Caesarea gets me to Rome, where God had promised beforehand. I mean, we read it in chapter was it twenty three, you know, where where God reassures Paul, you will get to Rome. You know, as surely as you testified about me here, you will do it in Rome. And so here it is, two years in a, in a jail cell, but it was the providence of God yeah. to get Paul where he should go. And, of course, you, you made a great point. Luke is such a great storyteller that you get caught up in the story, and it seems like a couple of weeks in the life of the early church. It's really three decades. It's, yeah. it's 30 years you know, from the time uh, you know, that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost till the time that we find Paul in Rome. And so there are you know, long periods you know, that Luke just jumps in from one gap to the next, and this is one of those where we have, you know, two years in between. And, of course, the thing that Luke wants us to know is as hostile as the Jews were toward Paul and toward the gospel, there was really nothing in Paul or in the gospel 
that, that caused offense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it was a, a strong reaction, but it was a reaction that any time it came you know, to a case, you know, to a court case, that those who were you know, on, on trial looked around and said, I, we have nothing we can charge this man with. Yeah. You can't help but sense um, so much parallelism, like in this story with the story of Jesus on trial, right? Because like Jesus and Paul were both tried before Roman rule, right? And as well as Jewish, a Jewish king. And so we're seeing that. Of course, we see that more tomorrow. But like it's, and neither of them, like had any real charges brought against them. So do you think that's something that Luke was showing and highlighting to us? No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parallels, you know, the parallels are very strong and, and they will be strong, you know, also as they they apply to us that uh, whenever we're on trial for the gospel, for us to make certain, you know, as Peter would rather write, not because of you know, our behavior, but because of our testimony of Christ, and may our good behavior cause those who, who would slander us to, yeah. to feel you know, ashamed of their slander. And so this is certainly a case when you have outsiders looking in, they see Paul is somewhat deranged as a grip up, you know, or as fast as you will to, you know, tomorrow. Uh, but, uh, uh, the, uh, but they always see him as an innocent man, and they see him you know, as not a threat to Rome, not a threat you know, to uh, the Jewish you know, establishment either. I feel like this passage and the passages like around it, they they're so technical. Like they need so much context, and so I feel like is there could we spend a little time just kind of helping me and other people understand just more of the context of it? Like why so Festus is coming in and taking taking the role that um, Felix uh, that Felix was. held. Yeah, Felix. You know, of course, you have whenever the Jewish people come before him. You know, the great flattery of all the great reforms that yeah. you've given our country and how blessed we've been, you know, to have rich it's been for us to live under your rule. Of course, they really hated him and there were no real reforms under, uh, you know, Felix and he gets, you know, he gets harsher and harsher. And so finally at their complaint, at the Jewish people's complaint or the Jewish leadership complaint, he is removed and Festus is set in place. Mm-hmm. And of course, the first thing he does is go to Jerusalem in order to, you know, to, kind of settle the waters yeah. you know just a little bit and he spends you know several days you know several days there yeah yeah cultural context just as you're thinking about it i mean the roman rule was the greatest rule i mean it wasn't like the you know the kind of these little sects in jerusalem were going to rise up and overthrow the roman empire but the romans knew that they wanted to kind of quiet you know quiet or calm the waters in a sense would they would go to jerusalem and, and see how can we appease you know these these religious people yeah you know so that they will be peaceful citizens in yeah. rome and, and they'll owe us favors as we you know return yeah. and depending on their mood 20 years later they're gonna come in and wipe out yeah, the exactly. whole city mm-hmm. yeah uh and because there's so much revolt and so much obstinance you know taking place uh, but it it was a hard call, and that's of course why we're in Caesarea, which is several miles removed from Jerusalem, which would have been the capital of the province. Mm-hmm. But the Romans set their capital on a nice little beach town, yeah. you know, in Caesarea, rebuilt you know kind of the Roman culture there, and stayed as far away from the powder keg of Jerusalem as they possibly could. So Festus, you know, coming in, spending time, you know, just trying to um, you know calm calm everybody down for a little while to establish rapport and to begin and of course the first thing they want to do is they want to talk about Paul 
And so he is eager to help them, you know, adjudicate this case. Yeah. And I love, you know, it's not just a matter of examining the Apostle Paul and how he's living. It's the message that the Jews are offended by. And in verse 19, you know, instead they have some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Isn't that fantastic? Mm-hmm. That, a dead man named Jesus who Paul <laughs> claims was alive. You know, which one is he? Yes. I love it. It's just so detailed. And I like hearing um, the perspective of Festus. Like, how often do we really get to hear right. the perspective mm-hmm. of someone outside of the story hearing it? And who's and, and you'll get you know from him tomorrow a common Roman response. You know, Paul, you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, as he begins to explain the hope of the resurrection, and and of course you have Agrippa. You know, Herod Agrippa, too, who was of course the son of Agrippa. One, who was the grandson of Herod the Great, who is the first, you know, Herod we meet, you know, back in the Gospel of Matthew. So they were now, these are kind of Jewish rulers, and uh, the the territories, you know, of Herod the Great were extensive, and each one of his sons or grandsons who comes after him gets less and less, and Agrippa just has a few little territories, but interestingly enough, uh, he's in charge of not Judea, but he's in charge of the city of Jerusalem mm-hmm. and in charge of the temple. So he would be the one who appointed, from a Roman standpoint, the high priest. Mm-hmm. So there is kind of a close relationship, and there is a sense of him, you know, realizing. And of course, the high priests were opposite. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Just the opposite of you know yeah. who Paul was. They were Sadducees, and Paul was yeah. a Pharisee. So he would have known the Jewish faith, but he would have known it through a different filter. Yeah. As he comes, and I love how you know Luke describes him coming in with great pomp, mm-hmm. you know, overdoing it possibly mm-hmm. just a bit, you know, and uh, their display of power and their display of majesty. And he comes in with Bernice, who is, you know, his half sister and, and constant, you know, constant mm-hmm. companion. So the two are inseparable. And of course, there are a lot of rumors around that, but mm-hmm. we don't deal in rumors on shape by the word. <laughs> uh, we simply stay with yeah. the, with the word. <laughs> and I just love. I mean. You, you pointed out. You know they came with great pomp. They came in with great boasts of power. And, and if we've been careful as we've been reading this, we've seen all along that God is the one who is powerful over all all of creation. Right. You know, and so we're seeing this. And, and whether you know Paul is in Caesarea, whether he's in Jerusalem, whether he's going to be in Rome or any of these little tiny you know islands mm-hmm. that he's traveling by boat. You know, we'll see him soon. Like God's continue, God continues to be sovereign over all of these things, and That's He's right. using these court scenes, these moments, these you know unjust charges oh, yeah. or unjust charges against Paul to bring about you know the flourishing of the church and the gospel. And, and so, I, I just love even here we're we're reading about a trial before Festus and Agrippa, and yet we're yeah. being reminded that God is fulfilling His promises. He's powerful even over the most powerful yeah. empire. Uh, the hand of the true Majesty and power is. Yeah. Uh, guiding the pretenders to majesty yeah. and power in a, in a very in a very you know, clear way. Mm-hmm. So it is it is kind of fun to you know, see from Luke's perspective how uh, the gospel is going forward, not in the way we would have guessed or not in the way we would have wanted. And of course, that's a a big application for us. You know, to trust God's providence. Uh, life seldom yeah. moves in the straight line we would like it to move and not in. as quickly as we want it yeah, to be. It's no, two years. No, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's not just a few months. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, it's been fun to do this. Uh, but we are to the end of our – we spent probably too much time on a grip there, but uh, it'll come in handy tomorrow, so just hang with us. Get a grip. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. 
I think Caden needs a break. We, should, pray, we, should, we should pray our way out of this as quickly as possible. Matthew, yeah. help us. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you are the sovereign God of the universe, the one who is ruling and reigning over all things um, and, and ruling and reigning on behalf of your church. And, and so, Father, would you continue to anchor our hearts um, to you? Would you remind us of um, your power? Would you remind us, that, as we see now, um, that Jesus has come? that he lived the life we could never live and, and died the death that we deserve so that we might receive his life. Thank you that right now Jesus is um, at your right hand in, in power who has overcome death. And and so we read um, stories of people saying the dead man Jesus, but um, we know that, that he's overcome death. And so we praise you. Um, would you continue to, um, to hold us fast? Um, Father, help us to to believe the gospel, to live in light of it, um, to share it, to proclaim it, um, and to rest in your providence and sovereignty. Uh, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.